Sorry for the interruption. Coming up is a podcast brought to you by the dedicated and diverse volunteers at 3CR. Our podcasts are community powered, and for the month of June, we're asking listeners to donate to the station to help keep us going. We rely on the generous donations of the community to survive. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate and show your support for community owned and community run media. Happy listening. But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens would mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the, uh, Are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah. McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being cannibalized. Look it up. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's become kind of a symbol. Good afternoon, gentle listeners, and welcome to Yeah Na Pasaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And this week on the show, we have a special Radiothon presentation. There's, of course, Radiothon Month at 3CR, trying to make some money to keep the lights on. And so rather than having a guest, we are going to be our own guest. We're going we're doing an AMA, Ask Me Anything. Are you excited, Andy? <sighs> well, it depends what the questions are, Cam. I hope you've uh, collected some good ones. We've fielded questions from our listeners. Okay, so the first question we've got is why should people support 3CR? Well, Cam, have you ever turned the dial and listened to the other radio stations? Yeah, that could be a little... Whoever asked that question, how about you do turn the dial in any direction? No, don't, no, don't turn the dial. And have a listen and see what see how you like it. You feel free because <laughs> there's a lot of rubbish out there on the airwaves. Well, yeah, that's true, Cam. You'll find quality stuff here on 3CR. Yeah. And... Um, that's because it's a community radio station that's committed to supporting community and uh, building community power to change the world for the better. Yeah. Right. Chuck on 3AW, see if you get any of that. Yeah? All right. Let's have let let's not have any more smart questions, shall we? Uh, our next question is, why should people, su- why should people support Yana Patera on <laughs> this show? Cam, can I tell you why? Go on. Because every dollar you donate... Makes a Nazi shed one salty tear. And then how can people donate to 3CR and Yeah Now Pass Around? Well, I'm glad you asked, actually. Go to givenow.com.au, type in Yeah Now Pass Around, and you can uh, put some money in for us, or you can go to 3cr.org.au slash donate and donate to the station, and you do have an option of saying it is for us, so do that. All right, let's have some more questions from our listeners. Andrew, we have been doing this show for about 18 months now. Mm-hmm. And a lot has happened in that time, and we haven't always addressed uh, local matters. Maybe you could just give us a quick rundown of what's the state of play more locally of the various uh, characters' current government legislation that's on the table and maybe some of your prognostications. Uh, Well, I guess over the course of the last 18 months, there has been some shifting on the far right. I suppose the most, uh, one of the more significant developments has been the, uh, I guess, the unmasking of uh, some on the far right who've now declared themselves to be Nazis, which was always kind of known, but not publicly acknowledged by them. Yeah, I mean, that's resulted in some, well, a number of the individuals involved with some of those groups are now uh, before the courts for various 
alleged defences. I think it's significant in the sense that what it means is that those that have previously attempted to go mainstream or take their themselves and their organisations into the mainstream have now abandoned that effort. Uh, I think partly in recognition of the failure of that attempt and also as a result of the opposition that they've faced. So I think that's kind of significant. And I think what's also significant is the fact that because a number of them have found themselves in various uh, legal difficulties, that's somewhat dangerous in the sense that a number of them have declared that, you know, are they to be subject to these sorts of measures they may have to resort to other means of establishing their, their vision of a white Australia, which is um, concerning, I suppose. I think for others, I guess, you know, it's, it's difficult to understand what's happened without making reference to COVID and lockdown. I think that one of the things that's happened is that a lot more people are engaging with that sort of material online. And I don't think it's clear at this stage, well, I imagine for many it may be a passing fad, so to speak, but for others I think they've been subject to what you might otherwise term radicalisation. In other words, they're going to, having seized upon this material, uh, much of it easily translatable into various forms of anti-Semitic conspiracy theory. I suppose there will be a layer left behind that is... Uh, you know, worth paying attention to and should be of some concern. I think it's sort of says something that uh, probably the most influential uh, Nazi influencer online at the moment is a QAnon person who has something like 300,000 Telegram followers, which sort of leaves everyone else in the field in the dust in terms of, you know, actual Nazi influencers. Yeah, well, you know, QAnon's been a boon to the far right, although, you know, uh, given the attempted insurrection or riot or whatever you want to call it that took place in January and the legal consequences that followed on from it. Uh, in the United States, at least, there's been significant roadblocks to the further development of that movement. That's not quite the case in Australia. And as uh, recent events and reportages have uh, I think demonstrated, um, however kind of um, cracked you think these theories might be, they do have an audience and members of that audience can, you know, allegedly influence people in high office. Indeed. Um, which is a bit, uh, yeah, a bit concerning. We saw last year or earlier this year the first time a far-right organisation was prescribed in Australia. You, of course, as a, a student of the Australian far-right, would have been very familiar with uh, all of the Shannon Craig uh, members that were active here. <laughs> oh, yeah, Shannon's an old mate, yeah. What what do you think is going to happen next in terms of uh, government legislation and prescription? Surely your handlers in Canberra have given a few clues. <laughs> well, I can't disclose. <laughs> I mean, the group that was prescribed only had something of a, as far as I can tell anyway, a fairly um, spectral existence in Australia. What's important to recognise, I think, is that it's one of several iterations that emerge from a, a transnational neo-Nazi network. So whatever label is applied is one thing, and, you know, nailing down membership can be a, a little tricky. What's more important, I think, is to pay attention to the existence of the network and the ways in which it evolves. I think in terms of further prescriptions, I mean, that's a legal matter, I think, and, I mean, I guess you, on the one hand you can kind of speculate 
that if this were the if the laws that were available now to uh, repress uh, alleged terrorists and alleged terrorist movements in the domain of um, Islam were to be applied in the same rigorous fashion on the far right or other political sectors, you might see a lot more people in trouble. I don't think that's going to happen. But, yeah, I mean, the other kind of key event was the Christchurch massacre committed by an Australian who was, uh, you know, had contact with various persons and groups in Australia who I guess in some ways could be considered and should be considered as emerging from that milieu. And that was, a, you know, an atrocity. And I think there is, if nothing else, that event would have meant that local authorities would presumably pay, pay much more attention to these networks. And uh, I think that what's unfolded since then in terms of the small number of arrests and um, charges that have been laid, that seems to be the case. Um, I don't see that changing as to whether or not, I mean, what effects it has. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, dealing with the aftermath of a movement that's emergent and, and what I think, unlike the state, what uh, members of the public and community activists can do is try to figure out ways of essentially disrupting the growth of those movements, whether it's online or in real life, which is to say on the streets, <laughs> they're both real life. <laughs> now, Andrew, looking back, how would you divide up our episodes and guests into topics or streams of thought or a, perhaps a syllabus? I know how I would. How would you, Ken? I would split them up into people from Portland, Oregon and that other guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, uh, you know, there's, there's been a range of people that we've, I guess, have uh, are established in the field, let's say, um, of scholarship on the far right and others are emergent emerging figures and certainly in the last few years there's been a, a, something of a boom in um, the number of academics and others who are paying attention to the field. Which is good news for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is I suppose and I guess there's kind of like a you know much more emphasis upon things like online worlds and, and radicalization, counter-terrorism. I guess the tensions I think emerge in, in terms of some of the people we've spoken to and, and the kinds of things that, from my own perspective, matter is uh, the extent to which I think it's, you know, my concern is not helping the state to develop policies to deal with these things. I, I want the public, I want members of various communities to organise to take action against these far-right movements in a way that isn't dependent upon and exists autonomously of both the academy and the state. Uh, we've got a question. What slash who else out there in the field are you liking slash reading slash listening to or recommending at the moment? Well, I, I kind of, I try and read fairly widely, but, you know, it is, it's very difficult to keep up in some sense because there is just a lot being published. I think a while ago I chucked up a, post on the blog, which has a few dozen different podcasts which deal with these issues. And, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there's been a few books that I've read recently that are being written by people who, I guess, on the one, you know, initially, well, consciously identify as anti-fascist and, and speak from that position. And those are the ones that I'm kind of drawn to, I guess, and have the most sympathy for. 
and we've had some of those uh, authors on on the podcast. I guess the other difficulty is that sometimes, especially for you know activists in this domain, it can be it's a tricky thing to you know be public in a sense because there are you know dangers associated with it. So trying to bring those voices to the air onto 3CR and elsewhere um, isn't as straightforward as it is, you know, interviewing someone who's just published a book on the subject. Um, How to go about being in a better position to do that is not easy. I really liked Talia Laven's book, Culture Warlords. We interviewed her a little while ago. We also interviewed someone from the Conspirituality podcast, which uh, I would really recommend to have a listen to. I think that whole nexus is an area to keep an eye on. And I guess in terms of a slightly different reading material, a couple of newsletters that I've found useful, not necessarily focused on the far right, but maybe more on online culture, which sometimes is the same thing. Uh, Charlie Warzel's Galaxy Brain and Ryan Broderick's Garbage Day are two newsletters that I recommend checking out. Good titles. Indeed. A little change of pace, Andy. Yeah. What is your favourite Melbourne punk band? Contemporary or historical? Well, um, what about one of both? Well, uh, I think it's... Um, I'm not sure. I haven't been able to get out much recently, Cam. I guess I, I kind of err uh, more towards the, the crusty side of things than, than um, you know, the more straightforward uh, chaos punk <laughs> stuff. And I don't know. I recommend listening to Extinct Exist. I think they're pretty good. And uh, I think Jelang has just got a, is about to launch a new album sometime soon. Historically speaking, I don't know. I remember many years ago winning an album by depression um, that was being given away on a local public radio station. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, there's been lots and lots of great Melbourne punk bands. I like bands that have something to say and, Piss Christ. <laughs> I don't know, Cam. Um, yeah, there's lots, I'm sure. For me, at the moment, it's all about private function. Andy, on a scale of one to Christian militia group, how much should we be worried about these peacemaker flogs <laughs> is the exact wording of the question. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I mean, they're pretty recent. They're one of kind of several I think previously there was a group that called themselves The Crew and uh, A26A and they kind of were one of the kind of cast-offs or one of the kind of, I don't know, uh, byproducts of Reclaim and its various you know, numerous satellites. I suppose the concern in terms of assessing any group is, you know, what does the membership consist of? How serious do they seem to be? What kind of record do they have? And I guess in that particular case, yeah, there's a few who are, you know, skilled MMA fighters. And also, um, obviously, I, although I think quite recently, um, who was it? Um, uh, Mr. Jared Searby was associated with the group, but is no longer apparently, uh, apparently or allegedly on the basis that he's um, now aligned himself with the uh, NSN. And, you know, that, that's a bad look. But, I mean, yeah, it's an open question as to what becomes of that group and others like them as, you know, hopefully the coronavirus is you know, brought under control and becomes less of a public health issue and as, you know, uh, lockdown measures becoming increasingly infrequent. 
that brings a whole new meaning to the term three-way fight. <laughs> you are listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3cr.org.au and 3CR Digital on your DAB radio. Andy, I've got a question here. Do you have to be a millionaire to donate to the 3CR Radiothon? Do we only accept extravagant donations? No, Cam, we accept big donations and small, any amount. If you are a millionaire. Send us a DM. So, like, let's say if you're the uh, you know, son of a former prime minister and you've got a lot of uh, investment bank money burning a hole in your pocket or you're, you're the husband of a gangland lawyer with a little spare cash to spare, feel free to chuck it our way. Andy, where are the Snowdens of yesteryear? Well, isn't Edward Snowden the Snowden of yesteryear? <laughs> He's in uh, Moscow, isn't he? Saint yeah, Petersburg. I believe so. Yeah, yeah. He's still around. Uh, where where, where are the, is the next generation of Snowdens, perhaps? Where? Well, presumably they're continuing to work for the NSA. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, whistleblowers emerge. I think it was just, uh, what, the 50th anniversary of the Pentagon Papers. But, yeah, I mean, given the just the sheer size and scale of the surveillance state and, you know, surveillance capitalism generally, you know, it just stands to reason that there'll be further whistleblowers, I guess, you know, most of them would want to, I mean, I don't know how, but want to avoid the fate of someone like Snowden or Assange. As to how that can be accomplished, I've got, I've got no idea, but certainly there'll be, there'll be further such figures. I mean, yeah, it's inevitable. What's the best way to deal with family members who are engaging in white nationalist and adjacent circles? Um, <laughs> that's a very good question. I guess it principally depends upon the nature of the relationship and, I guess coming to understand how it is that someone might find those sorts of ideas attractive. So it's very difficult to answer in the abstract or in general, but I guess the most important thing is to try and maintain some kind of relationship with, you know, the also the consideration being that, you know, it can sometimes be effective to inform others that those sorts of attitudes aren't acceptable and there needs to be some kind of way in which that can be communicated. But it's tricky. It depends on, you know, how, how deep um, their commitment is because certainly for some it's, it's a passing engagement. For others it's, you know, it's the beginning of a lifelong commitment. And in some cases, I mean, yeah, that's, that's sort of what makes it kind of heartbreaking, I suppose. But outside of a therapeutic contest context, I'm not a psychologist, um, but certainly there are these sorts of questions have been studied by others and it's possible to, I guess, familiarise yourself with that literature and and absorb it and, and, you know, see what people with greater expertise have to say. Why are we seeing patriots going Nazi now? Well, (laughs) uh, well, because I think, well, on the one hand, to the extent that what's termed patriotism has been absorbed into the mainstream, and it always is, that's a constant process of political recuperation, uh, there's less space to pose in that fashion. There's a smaller audience. The uh, measures that have been taken by major social media platforms to limit those audiences makes it more difficult. I think in some cases it's because uh, it's no longer necessary to, to for Nazis who've embedded themselves within the so-called patriot movement. They've come out of the closet and in, partly in response to the idea that especially, I think, in terms of the popularisation of various conspiracy theories and certainly their anti-Semitic dimensions, there's a sense in which there's more space for them available 
for them to do so. And in some sense, you know, I guess, yeah, there was always that seed. And partly it was to do with um, a kind of incoherent or uh, what's the term, inchoate sense of resentment that uh, Nazi and Nazi adjacent philosophies provide a kind of simple and straightforward answer to uh, in terms of, you know, who's responsible for all these bad things? Well, it's, you know, the Jews. And there's other things about, you know, Nazism that, that kind of appeals. And, yeah, I think also probably the kind of, you know, the social stigma associated with espousing those sorts of politics has in some respects uh, begun to dissipate and, and it's begun to dissipate precisely as a function of the distance from the real horrors that occurred in the 1940s. And the further that distance, I guess, on some level, the more space there is for people to try and rehabilitate uh, Nazi philosophy. Do you think there's been an increase in the fringe right and its connection to conspiratorial thinking? And do you think it's healthy for the rest of us to follow or engage with these perspectives, especially if they are becoming more ubiquitous yet unassailable? Uh, yes, there has. <laughs> I think, it, like, in general, it makes sense to, whether it's in this area or any other, to study and try to understand and to understand these things historically. So, yeah, it is important to kind of recognise the ways in which old ideas are being poured into new bottles in terms of how to engage or, I guess, you know, in terms of just media reportage the general, well, not necessarily the media reportage, but in terms of opposing such trends, it's always a good idea to consider whether or not drawing attention to something or other makes sense because obviously many of these fringe actors uh, want to go mainstream and think that publicity can assist them in doing so. In that case, it's a matter of making an adjudication as to what's what it is that could be made public that would be most disruptive uh, or most, you know, antagonistic or antithetical to their goals. And that's not always simply saying, oh, well, there's far right, you know, there's fringe actors and they've done X, Y, Z, you know, so what? They've always been around there was will be. It's more, you know, I mean, that, again, that's to speak in very abstract terms, but occasionally there do emerge concrete things which it makes sense to to publicise because doing so can be disruptive to their organisational efforts. Uh, Andy, what is your current source of inspiration? <sighs> oh, that's a tricky question. Maybe I'm in the bad, the wrong mood, but um, I don't know. Look, if you look around, you'll see lots of people struggling against injustice and those who do so and endure in doing so a constant source of inspiration, whether that's in the contemporary field or historically. And there's just too many, you know, all over the world. People are struggling against, you know, tremendous odds. Um, those are the people that inspire me. And what are your thoughts around the concept of speciesism? Ha. Uh, it's an interesting concept. I, I suppose philosophically speaking, you know, it has some appeal. I think it's, you know the relationships between humans and non-human species is very important. 3CR has a show dedicated to these sorts of questions, uh, which is uh, worth listening to. I think the, I guess the ethical tension, as far as I can tell, from a kind of animal rights or rights perspective, 
is the relationship between according particular individuals or particular species, certain rights or statuses, which sometimes conflict or exist in tension with uh, broader ecological demands. And that's manifest in, you know, all different sorts of ways. And I think that those two, you know, and there's a whole body of literature which examines these questions. But, yeah, I mean, you know, um, I think other species are pretty cool. <laughs> well, I have, a, I have a final question which is somewhat related. Oh, yeah. Andy, what is the best kind of cat? Uh, ACAB. <laughs> All cats are beautiful, Cam. Um, but the best kind of cat is, I suppose, in practice, the one who spends a lot of time sitting on my lap. I quite like that cat. Um, they're pretty cool. Well, Andy, that's all we've got time for. Already, Cam. We're over. People should go to givenow.com.au and look up Yana Passaran, or you can go to 3cr.org.au slash donate. Just make sure when you donate that you say it's for Yana Passaran, all right? <laughs> and we would very much appreciate it. And we'll be back next week, I guess, Cam. We will be. Hooroo. See you later. Radiothon. Show your support during June 2021.
The union movement stands in solidarity with students and all young people taking action today. And we stand in solidarity with you for two reasons. Firstly, because we believe in the rights of young people to have a say in our democracy. Do not let the conservative media try to silence you. Be loud and proud. As we know in the union movement, when we raise our voices together, we cannot be silenced. Secondly, we stand in solidarity as your struggle is our struggle too. Climate change is union business. 3CR Radiothon, community-powered radio. To donate, call 03-9419-8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. Freedom of Species is a show about animals, for animals, listened to by humans. Tune in Sundays, 1pm. Merhaba. Bugün nasılsınız? A Turkish eco-feminist approach to dismantle the toxic misconception of the good immigrant. Intrigued? Well, so are we. The good immigrant is broadcasted in Turkish every Thursday between 6.30pm to 7pm. Tell your friends and family because you have a date with Özesuen Özgü. 3CR, 8.55am, Thursdays, 6.30pm to 7pm. See you all then. <laughs> <laughs> 